Dear Lord, uh, thank you so much for this time. Again, we pray and thank you. And we pray that you'll just bless our time in your word. Help us not to be distracted. Help us to focus on you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, what I shared earlier, what I was sharing was, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, when we trust in him for salvation, when we believe what he has done for us, uh, we want to follow him. We want to obey him. And I think if you'll remember when you got saved, you were willing to follow him wherever he led you. You know, if, if he called you to go anywhere, you just would follow Jesus because he saved you, you love him, your heart had been changed, and you love Jesus. And if you've trusted in Jesus Christ uh, for salvation, believe that he's God who died for your sins and rose from the dead, and you are saved, you, you just want to follow him. But the reality is over time, sometimes our sin and things settle in, and we become settled and we may not be as willing at least in our actions to follow him as we were before we're going to see the jews of nehemiah's day they had followed the lord they had actually left uh, persia comfortable lives they had come back to to serve the lord to serve him and yet they had become even comfortable in the land and uh that uh they were in a sense as we'll see they were walking in sin and God needed to work through that sin to bring about a voluntary willingness to do whatever the Lord would have them do. Would you turn your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 11? And we're going to see part three of how we can know if we've truly repented. We're going to see the fruit that we should have by looking at the example of these Jews. Now you might remember, if you've been with us in Nehemiah, that we've not only seen the rebuilding of the walls and the gates, but we have seen the spiritual rebuilding of the people. We've seen that they heard, they wanted to hear the word of God taught from Ezra. They heard the word and they were taught the word and they responded with a right heart, fully acknowledging their sin and their father's sin, fully accepting we're in the place we're in right now with Persia over us. We're slaves in our own land because of our own sin fully recognizing that. And we saw that they had a humble repentance, acknowledging their sin. But not only do we see a humble repentance acknowledging sin, we see the fruit of that in their actions. Uh, remember what we saw in the end uh, of chapter 9. Now because of this, we are making an agreement in writing and sealed on this document are the names of our leaders, our Levites, and our priests. Because of their sin, they chose to, in writing, make a commitment to obey the Lord and to walk in his word and walk in his ways. What an amazing thing. And that's the first thing we need to do when we have truly confessed. We need to have a heart that's committed. Lord, I want to obey your word. I want to walk in your ways. I'm committed to doing so. We need to make the decision to do so. And they made an agreement in writing, and they were restored. But then we see there was fruit of that repentance. There was actual fruit that was born forth. And so today we're going to see the last element of that as we look in Nehemiah chapter 11. And you're looking at that going, that's a long chapter, and there's a lot of names in there. And, and I'm, what I'm going to share is that the first two verses are really the most important. And we're going to briefly look at those. Then we will go and look at the rest of the chapter and come back to those first two verses, which should be helpful for us in understanding this last fruit of repentance. Let's take a look at it now. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 11. 
Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, but the rest of the people cast lots to bring out one of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine-tenths remained in the other cities. And the people blessed all the men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. Now these are the heads of the provinces who lived in Jerusalem, but in the cities of Judah each lived in his own property in their cities. The Israelites, the priests, the Levites, the temple servants, and the descendants of Solomon's servants. And so we're going to stop right here, and we're going to look later on, even at 3 again, and on to the rest of the chapter uh, here. We're going to look at that. But first of all, let's review what we saw. Let's review how we got to this point. It's really important to understand that. Again, you'll remember in chapter 9, verse 38, he says, Now because of all of this, we are making an agreement in writing on a sealed document or the names of our leaders and our priests, Levites on our priests. So because of all of their sin, what we saw in chapter 9, the confessing of all that sin, this is why we're in this situation. Uh, they made an agreement. We're going to follow the Lord. We're going to follow the Lord. We're going to obey him. And notice uh, we had all those leaders' names in writing. They put their names down. They're willing to say, hey, we'll do it. And we have that list up to verse 27. And it starts with Nehemiah, the governor, and then the priests and the leaders of the people. And then we see that the people join in also. Not only do the leaders write down, hey, we are going to obey the Lord. We're going to walk in his way. We're going to walk in his word. Notice what else here. Verse uh, 28. Now the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all those who had separated themselves from the people, the lands, to the law of God, their wives, their sons, and their daughters, and those who had knowledge and understanding are joining with their kinsmen, their nobles, and are taking on themselves a curse and an oath. We're going to obey the Lord God. And we saw this when we went through this. The, the curse and the oath will be the oath will be to say, hey, we're going to do it. The curse will be, hey, if we don't obey you, may the things that you have said, and we see in Deuteronomy 28 through 30, may they come upon us. We want to obey you as your people. We're joining in to walk in God's law, and that was, which was given through Moses, God's servant. We see that. They wanted to live a lifestyle of obedience to God's word. Now, we do fail. We mess up, but we confess. But hopefully you want to live a life of obedience to God's word. Now, we know that only happens, and I shared this many times, so don't just take this part from what I'm saying. Remember what I shared last time we've been, that we need to trust in the Lord. We need to abide in Christ. We need to have his word working in us. Working in us. So they decide to keep and obey, to walk in his word. And at the end of 29, this is chapter, chapter 10, and to keep and, obs- and to observe all the commandments of our God, uh, of our God and the Lord his ordinances, uh, verse 29, the Lord his ordinances and his statutes. To keep and observe. We want to obey. We want to keep and observe what God says. We want to do what he says. His ordinance and statutes of the Lord, of the Lord our God, of the Lord our God. And so here, when you've truly repented, when you've truly confessed your sin, you're going to be committed to obeying the Lord. That's one sign, that's one evidence that we are truly desiring to follow the Lord. And then notice what's very interesting with these Jews is what we've seen is that then they decided to obey the Lord in the very areas in which they were, had failed. And they share those. 
And I think this is really important. You can commit to say, hey, I'm going to obey the Lord. I'm going to obey him. I'm going to walk in his word. But are you going to obey him in those areas that you have been disobeying him before? And they're going to identify four areas that they have been disobeying and that they obey. And we have looked at the first three of those, and the last one will be what we see today. The reality is that when you want to follow the Lord, when you've got a changed heart, you recognize his grace is sufficient. You recognize you can't do it, but you trust the Lord to do it through you. I mentioned passages in the last few messages, and I won't read them this time, but like in Ephesians 4, in the context of renewing your mind and putting off the old and putting on the new man, therefore don't speak falsehood. Therefore be angry, but do not sin. Therefore forgive. Therefore do these things. We saw that. We saw that. We saw in Romans chapter 6, even consider yourselves to be dead to sin, so dead to sin, but alive to God. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lust, and do not go on presenting the members of your body as to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. We present ourselves to go ahead and do what God says what do what god says you know we are to be not simply those who hear the word and walk out and forget we hear we're to be those with changed hearts who do what god says and there are evidences when we have repented you know when the bad guys the pharisees came to john the baptist to get uh, baptized john the baptist knew that they really weren't repentant so he calls upon them Matthew chapter 3, verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. There should be fruit. If you're truly repentant, there should be fruit in your life. We know from Acts chapter 26, when the Apostle Paul is speaking to King Agrippa, he is declaring his salvation testimony of what the Lord God did when he met him on that road to Damascus. And then he declares, if in that, he says, consequently, Acts 26:19, King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision, but kept on declaring to both those in Damascus and those in Jerusalem, also at Jerusalem, and those throughout the region of Judea, even to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God performing deeds appropriate to repentance. You see, if I've truly changed my mind about something, my behavior is going to change. And I've given this example before. I decide I'm going to go to Target. But then I realize that Target is not the best place I want to go to. I change my mind, and therefore my behavior changes, and I go to Walmart instead. There's a change of behavior if I've truly changed my mind. If I really truly understand that not loving my wife or not living in an understanding way is wrong, then I'm going to change my behavior. Now, we certainly fail, we trip up, but there's going to be a desire to do what is right, to do what is right. And they've committed to doing that. They've committed, we're going to obey you, Lord, in all your word. And that's the first thing. When you've genuinely repented, there's going to be a voluntary, willing heart. I want to obey you, Lord. I want to obey your word. I want to walk in your ways. I want to walk in your ways. But yet we get discouraged, we mess up, we get discouraged. But don't be discouraged because of what, remember what Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It means you're not there yet, you're, you're hungering. I want to do the right thing, but I messed up, but I want to do the right thing. I'm thirsting, but I'm not there. For, for, for you, 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 what does it say? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? 
you shall be satisfied. You're going to be satisfied. The Lord is going to bring that righteousness around. We know it will happen when we're glorified. Praise the Lord. So then, they made a choice to obey and walk in his ways. And then they declared specific ways that they were going to follow him. Specific ways that they had failed. And we had seen those three specific ways that the Jews had failed. Let's just review the first one. Look at verse 30 back in chapter 10. Verse 30. And that we will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. We saw this. We went through this in detail. I'm not going to go through the whole issue of, 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 of uh, believer-unbeliever marriage. We'll t- talk a little bit about that. But he's talking about intermingling with the Canaanites. And we're not going to do that anymore. We've sinned. We're not going to do it anymore. We're going to walk in your ways, and specifically, we're not going to do this anymore. Very clearly, in Exodus 34 and Deuteronomy 17, the Lord made it clear that if you yoked yourself with those people of the lands, your hearts would be pulled away from the Lord. Your sons and daughters' hearts would be pulled away. Don't do it. Don't do it. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Don't do it. And if you think you're really smart, that you can outsmart uh, uh, a God in this. Remember Solomon. He was the wisest man in the world, and he disobeyed God and yoked himself with foreign wives. First Kings 11:4 in the second half, his wives turned his heart away to follow after other gods. The reality is these pagans in the land had been given time They'd been given that time. We see in Genesis, 400 years till the sin of the Amorite was full. They didn't repent. And God then brought in his people and they were to be wiped out. Uh, and they were not to be associated with. And so God uh, says here, uh, or the people say here, we're not going to do that anymore. We have sinned. And so the fruit of repentance is going to be areas that you failed. You're committed to obeying the Lord in that area. In that area, we saw that. Then secondly, we saw another area concerning work and money. First of our relationships with non-believers, and then work and money. Verse uh, 31, as for the peoples of the land who bring wares or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day, we will not, and we will forgo the, the crops of the seventh year and the extraction of every debt. You see, the Jews had been breaking the Sabbath in a tricky way. They weren't working on Sunday, but they were allowing the people of the lands to come in and sell goods. And so they were doing it on that way. And they're saying, you know, we've been sinning. We haven't been obeying your word. Now we know the Sabbath was with the Jews. It was a shadow, a picture of rest, a picture of trusting God that is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But the principle here is they weren't trusting the Lord and they were disobeying him, his word, directly because of finances, because of finances. And they also say, says here, and we will forgo the crops of the seventh year. You see, God had made it clear, and I mentioned the verses the last time we were in it, God had made it clear that they were to let the land rest every seventh year and then let the, the poor people gather from the crops. They were to do that. But Israel, ever since they were in the land, never did that as a nation. And you know, when they went into 70 years of captivity, we see that 70 years equals uh, 70 years of rest, which should have happened over the 490 years which they were disobedient. God gave the land its rest by exiling them out of land. They're saying, hey, we're going to obey the Lord. We're going to obey the Lord, and we're not going to extract every day. We're not going to be, 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 be um, creditors to our people against God's word. This is all has to do with money and trust in the Lord. 
where we can disobey God by fretting, worrying, uh, seeking after. Uh, New Testament, I read many scriptures about this, that we are not to even, you know, in Old Testament, we're not to even set our heart on it. Soon it goes away. Uh, we're to cease our consideration of it, right? New Testament, we know that the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, and those wanting to get rich fall into all kinds of temptation and, and many a pain. You know, we need to be content with what we have and trust the Lord. And I read those passages about you can't serve God and mammon. You're either going to love one and hate the other. And so they're saying, wow, we have blown it. We're not going to do these things in relationship to money and work anymore. And that's the evidence of fruit of repentance. And then we saw the third fruit of repentance, that third fruit, which had to do with neglecting the provision for the operation of the temple and the house, the house of God, neglecting the helping of the Levites for theirs, neglecting a serving, neglecting the tithes, neglecting God's house. We saw that. And if you look at the end of chapter 11, it says here, or chapter 10, excuse me, uh, verse 39, thus we will not neglect the house of our God. Now you can read verses 32, 39 in your own time. We went through that. Took a long time. It was a long sermon. By the way, the last sermon in my was the longest sermon. It was long. We went through that, and you can see that it had to do with the regulations in the Old Testament of providing, and even voluntarily, willing. And they decided to willingly provide. They were going to provide. They were going to provide for those Levites who, who get their provision for the work of the Lord through the people. There were tithes. Uh, there were the things that were related to the temple operation. And we saw that we should be providing for those who teach the word. We should be providing. Paul talked about those who, 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 who preach to get, a, get their a living from the word. We saw in Galatians chapter 6, if, uh, if you're taught, anyone who teaches, uh, share all good things with him who teaches you. We see that those who, who rule well and preach and, and, and work hard at preaching and teaching are worthy of a double honor. You should not muzzle the ox while he's threshing. So there is a provision by Christ. And guess what? When you're not following the Lord, your money is not prioritized for God. It's prioritized for me. Not me, but you. <laughs> right? It's prioritized for me, myself, and I. The reality is, when God gets a hold of your heart, you want to give to him because you know he gave to you. And we saw it was the first fruit. It's the best. It's the best. And so if your heart is not to give on a consistent basis to the work of the Lord for his work and his people, then I would posit to you that there's something in the way that you've got to get your heart right with the Lord and give freely and graciously to the right to him, to him so that his work would be done. So they say, therefore, we're no longer going to neglect the house of the Lord. And that neglecting, you can read through that, had to do with provision, ties and provision for it, and even serving in it. So we have these three things that show that their hearts are, are, are responding. We're not going to have bad relationships with non-believers. Uh, we're not going to uh, trust in our finances and sin against you. And, and we're going to provide for the work of the ministry. We're going to do so. And those are areas that really will show you, hey, have I really repented? Now, you may not be an outright uh, blatant sin like Israel was, but you may have been dulled. 
and you and you're starting to experience some of these things where your heart isn't there. You need to go and look through the Word and see where has my heart strayed from a desire to to give unto my my, my Lord back from what He's given me to give of the first fruits uh, to provide for His His church to provide uh, to trust Him in the work that I'm doing to not be frantically seeking to to make ends meet. No, you got to be a good steward, but you trust the Lord. You trust the Lord. You rely on Him. He's not gonna He's not gonna send you down the wrong path now we need to acknowledge hey if i've been a bad steward and all my debt is because i messed up now maybe that's why i'm where i'm at i need to admit that and then trust the lord and do what is right so they're doing what is right it is the fruit of repentance and then today we come to long review here but we come to the ultimate fruit of their repentance which was really what god was working on from the beginning which was to give them get them a heart that they would come inhabit Jerusalem, that they would move from where they are to serve the Lord and inhabit Jerusalem. The walls are built up, the doors are fixed, but as we'll see, the city had few houses and few inhabitants. And so, but they had to get their hearts right before the Lord, before they were ready to be moved by God to where he wanted them to be. Now we look at chapter 11, verse 1. Now the leaders... Of the people lived in Jerusalem, but the rest of the people cast lots to bring out, bring out one of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine tenths remained in the other cities. And the people blessed all the men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. Now, it's very important to remember that chapter 11 uh, relates back to chapter 7, and that everything in between is important. That chapter 11 relates back to chapter 7. Turn back to chapter 7, verse 4. Indeed, in chapter 7, verse 4, Nehemiah has appointed leadership in Jerusalem. He's appointed what he needs to appoint. The walls, chapter 6, had been done in 52 days. The city is ready. And you would think at that point we would have chapter 11, people moving into Jerusalem. But we don't. We have all the sin being dealt with as we see there. So notice here, chapter 7, verse 4. Now the city was large and spacious, but the people in it were few and houses were not built. There you go. The city, this is the holy city, which we'll see. It is the Lord's city, the city that God had placed his name on and identified with as the city of the Lord. It was his city. It was the holy city, as we will see. And yet it was in shambles, but now the walls are built up. But there's nobody there. The holy city, and there's no houses, there's no one there. What kind of holy city is that? It's a holy city. It's, not, it's missing people, right? Okay. But we see that uh, here, that it was large and spacious, but in it were few, and houses were not built. And so notice what happens. Nehemiah says here, Jer- or chapters, Nehemiah 7, verse 5. Then my God put into my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the people to be enrolled by genealogies. He then goes to figure out who is who by the genealogies. And as we're going to see, that's important in chapter 11 because it's going to be inhabited by certain people that need to come to be in Jerusalem for the operation of the temple, the Lord's city. So that you would think at this point, okay, then we have chapter 11, but as I mentioned, the reality is the people were not ready to inhabit Jerusalem. 
They were not ready, as we will see, to volunteer willingly to pick up everything and move to serve the Lord. They weren't ready in their hearts. They had sin that needed to be dealt with. And we've reviewed that already. We've seen that, that their sin was dealt with, uh, that they desired to hear the word of God, chapter 8, right after this. They called for uh, Ezra to, to share the word. They had the Levites teach them. They started to respond and obey. They were convicted. They were mourning. Then they obeyed the Lord and celebrated the Feast of Booths. And then they even wanted more so to hear the word. And then they, they were taught the word of God. And then they started to acknowledge, wow, we blew it here. We blew it here. We blew it here. We blew it here. We blew it, blew it, blew it, blew it. We've since sinned, sinned. Lord, this is why we are in this spot. Please have compassion on us. Please help us in the midst of this. We recognize it's all our fault. And when you get to that point, you're repenting. That's wonderful. You get to that humility, that humble point. And so God had to work through chapters 8 through 10 to work on these Jews to build their spiritual walls up because they were all torn down. And God needs to work on us. It's through the word of God convicting the heart of those who are receptive and willing to respond uh, that he works. And so all that has happened. And now we have... Uh, this uh, verse, chapter 11, where they're ready and they cast lots and they volunteer to go. That's what's happening. That's the flow of Nehemiah here at this point. Chapters 1 through 6, the rebuilding of the, the physical walls uh, in light of the satanic opposition through men. Chapters 8 through 10, the rebuilding of the spiritual walls of these people. Uh, chapter 11, that fruit as we see the end of 10 and 11, the fruit of repentance. And so with that in mind, what I want to do now is I want to walk through chapter 11, past verses 1 and 2, all these names and all this stuff, and then come back to the point, which is verses 1 and 2. So I want to teach the whole chapter, but I want to teach the, the, the rest, the bulk of the rest of it, and then come back. We're going to see verses 3 and on are really saying who came and lived there, who didn't, which people came and, and give some interesting aspects concerning that, and then we will come back and finish up our message in verses 1 and 2. So then notice in after verses 1 and 2, now chapter 11, verse 3 now. Now these are the heads of the provinces who lived in Jerusalem, but the cities of Judah, but in the cities of Judah each lived in his own property in their cities. The Israelites, the priests, the Levites, uh, the temple servants, the descendants of Solomon's servants, and some of the sons of Judah and some of the sons of Benjamin lived in Jerusalem. I believe verse 3 here and part of verse 4 is a summary. It's a summary. And then he's going to go and give specifics. And he's going to name specific people. And he's going to say at times, and this helps me to figure out, is this a 10 guys he's talking about or three guys that he's relating in a long way? You'll see he'll say, so-and-so, the son of so-and-so, the son of so-and-so, the son of so-and-so. Well, that's only one person. But it's identifying the genealogy of that person. You could say Greg, the son of Vern, the son of Fred. But it's talking about Greg. But it's identifying which Greg. You see what I'm saying? And so that helps to show that we have just a couple people that are being enumerated. And then we have a total number saying, hey, there's this guy and this guy, and they were this and this. And then 800 so came. You see what I'm saying? So that's what's going to go on here. So if you look at um, verse, uh, middle of verse 4. Now, first of all, we're going to have who came from the sons of Judah. 
Judah was a tribe of the southern kingdom. Benjamin was a tribe of the southern kingdom. We're going to see who came from there. There were the ten northern tribes, and these are the two southern tribes. So you can say, here's who came to inhabit. Okay, These are the ones who came to inhabit Jerusalem. These are the ones who, as we'll see, volunteered willingly. Volunteered willingly. There's a list. Who came? It says here, from the sons of Judah, uh, and forgive me about these names, Athiah, the son of Uzziah, the son of Zechariah, the son of Amariah, the son of Shephaniah, the son of Mahalael, of the sons of Perez. Now, that's just one guy, but we're identifying who he is. All the way back to the sons of Perez. Perez was of Judah by Tamar, right? And we have that Perez in that line is the line of Christ, Matthew chapter 1, right? You know, so it's talking about the these are the ones who came. And then he says here, and all the sons of Perez... Or excuse me, and or verse verse five, and Mas, Mas, Maasiah, the son of Baruch, the son of Kol Hazai, the son of Hazai, Hazai, the son of Adaiah, the son of Jorib, the son of Zechariah, the son of Shelonite, all the sons of Perseus who lived in Jerusalem were 488 able men. So it gave two basic guys that were, were, were renowned in a sense. God wants to say, these guys, I want you to know their names. And these are the specifics. And they're in the line of Judah, very clearly in the line of Judah, right? Remember, God had prompted uh, Nehemiah back chapter 7 to, to order them by the genealogies. It's very important. And here we see it actually flushing out as they come to Jerusalem. So you have 480... 468 willing, as we'll see, volunteers. Uh, and some noteworthy ones, such as Athathiah and Maasiah. Uh, they were drawn by lot to go to Jerusalem. They were willing to do so. And it says here, interesting, able men. Able men, interesting, means valiant or strong. These were 468 willing volunteers, valiant from the tribe of Judah, willing to move and serve the Lord in Jerusalem. That's the first list. Then we had the people of Benjamin, verse 7. Now these are the sons of Benjamin. Salu, the son of Meshulam, the son of Joed, the son of Pedadiah, the son of Koaliah, the son of Maasiah, the son of Ithiel, the son of Yesh, Yeshiah. So that's one guy, but he's identified by the line, right? Okay. And after him, Gabai and Salai. And 928, that's how many of the sons of Benjamin came, right? And Joel, the son of Zachary, was their overseer. He's the leader of that 928. One guy, look over to 920 people there. And uh, Judah, the son of Hasanuah, was the second in command of the city. So this is the list of the Benjamites that came, okay? The Benjamites. 928 of them, which includes some noteworthy names and a description of the overseer and the second in command of the city. Then notice next, the priests who live in Jerusalem. Verse uh, uh, 10. From the priests, uh, Jedediah, the son of Joyarib, Jachin, Sarai, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Meshulam, the son of Zadok, the son of Marioth, the son of Ahitub, the leader of the house, the leader of the house of God, and their kinsmen who performed the work of the temple. 822. 822 priests to serve in the temple. You got lay people, you got priests, right? 
you got the priests coming here, right? And then we have a list of some more priests, middle of 12. And Adadiah, the son of Jeroam, the son of Pelaliah, the son of Amzi, the son of Zechariah, the son of Pasher, the son of Maijah, and his kinsmen, the heads of their father's households, 242, there's the number. And Amashai, and the son of Azarel, the son of As, I'm probably messing these up, that's all right. Uh, Asai, the son of uh, Mashilamoth, uh, the son of Immer, and their brothers, valiant warriors. 128. These are warrior priests, okay? <laughs> valiant warriors. And their overseers with, and their overseer was Zabedel, the son of Hagadolim. There's one overseer for all those people there. That's one guy watching over, right? So you got the priests. Then you have the Levites. Look at verse 15. Now from the Levites, these are those who came, volunteered, drawn by lot. We'll talk about that in a minute, but volunteered willingly and moved to Jerusalem. Okay. Now from the Levites, Shehemiah, the son of Hashub, the son of Azrakam, the son of Hashabiah, the son of Bunny. There's an easy one there. Uh, and Shabbatai and Josebed from the leaders of the Levites who were in charge of the outside work of the house of God. There's the ones doing the outside work, working on the outside of the temple. And Mataniah, the son of Micah, the son of Zabdi, the son of Asap, who was the leader in the beginning, the in beginning the thanksgiving at at prayer. Uh, so one here, a son of Asap. Ultimately, this guy is related to Asap, one of the priests, or one of the Levites, and he's leading the thanksgiving in the prayer. Okay, this is the worship of God. These are people involved in serving the Lord in his worship. Okay, and it says here, uh, the second among brethren and Abda, the son of Shammu, the son of Galai, the son of Jedithun, all the Levites in the holy city were 284. Okay, 284. The Levites helped with singing, they helped with worship and the operation of the temple. Uh, and they also, we saw earlier in chapter 8, they also taught the word of God. We saw that chapter 8, and all of them chosen by lot, but volunteered 284. Then verse 19, and also the gatekeepers, Akub, Talman, and their brethren who kept watch at the gates were 172. You got two noteworthy guys who are gatekeepers. And the whole group, 172. They're ones that are watching over the gates. Jerusalem, gatekeepers. And then notice he describes the rest of the priests, Levites, and temple servants. Verse 20. And the rest of Israel, of the priests, and the Levites were in all the cities of Judah, each in his own inheritance, saying, hey, the rest of these people that didn't go to Judah or Jerusalem, they went to their places. The rest were in their inheritance. You got those who chose to leave their inheritance and come to Jerusalem to minister. The rest were in their inheritance, okay? Uh, but the temple servants were living in Ophai, Ophai and Ziha and Gispa were in charge of the, and Gispa was, were in charge of the temple servants. Okay, more information, more people, okay? Okay, so we have the rest of Israel, the priests, the Levites, and those were at their own inheritance. The temple servants were in Ophel, I think it is, and we have a statement concerning those in charge. And then notice we have a description of the singers and the king's representative. Uh, now, by the way, when you are going and saying, hey, we're in Nehemiah, what are we going to study next week? And you see all these names, you see all this stuff, you go, I need to pray for Greg, right? When I'm preparing, to, so I need to understand what is the intent, Lord? What do you intend? Why do you write all this? Why do we need to know? Okay, so pray for me. Okay, so the singers. Now, verse 22, 
The overseer of the Levites in Jerusalem was Uzi, the son of Bani, the son of Hashabiah, the son of Matani, the son of Micah, from the sons of Asap. Ah, those were the ones who were leading worship, right? Leading singing, right? Who were singers for the service of the house of God. We got these guys. They're the singers. They're dedicated singers for the house of God. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? This is worship. Worship of the Lord. Dedicated singers from the, from the sons of Asaph. And then notice we have an interesting statement. Very interesting. Nehemiah puts this in here. For there was a commandment from the king concerning them. That's the singers. And a firm regulation for the song leaders day by day. Very interesting. Well, this, the firm regulation thing throws me off a little bit, but I think uh, the New King James does a better job translating it. It literally speaks of support. Support. Financial support. That's really what it is. But it was said in a way that there was a firm regulation that they're supported. You know, that's why they translated it that way. So here... The commandment from the king, Artaxerxes, who's a good guy, who let Nehemiah go, right? He's a good guy, Artaxerxes. Uh, there, he had a regulation that the singers get money for their singing and that they are supported and that they do their singing day by day, that they do their work and they are supported with it. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Remember, he allowed them to go to, uh, to come back and to rebuild the, 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 the walls, Right? And he has a heart that God was using to allow them to do the work that they needed to do. And then we have this verse verse, uh, 24. And Pethaniah, the son of Meshezebel, of the sons of Zerah, the son of Judah, was the king's representative in all matters concerning the people. He was the king's guy, the king's guy. And evidently probably a good guy because he's making sure the singers are getting paid, making sure they're singing unto the Lord, right? doing the work they're called to do. And then notice, at the end, to the end of the chapter here, we have statements concerning the rest of the people, okay? Verse uh, 25. Now, as for the villages with their fields, for some, of the, some of the sons of Judah lived in Kiriath, Ar- Arba, and in its towns. It's saying, hey, where did the rest of them live? Not in Jerusalem, but here's where they lived, okay? In Dibon and its towns, and in Jacobezerel and its villages, and in Joshua and Molodah, in Beth Pelet, and in Hazar Shual, in Beersheba and its towns, in Zig, Ziklag, in Mekana and its towns, and in M. Rimen and Zorah and Zarmuth and Zenoah and Adullam and their villages, Lachesh and its fields, Azekah and its towns. So they encamped from Beersheba as far as the Valley of Hinnon. The sons of Benjamin also lived from Geba onward at Mishmash and Aja, at Bethel and its towns, at Anoth, Nob, An- Ananiah, Hazor, Ramah, Gittim, Hadid, Zebul, Nebat, Lod, Ono, and the Valley of the Craftsmen. And from the Levites, some divisions in Judah belonged to Benjamin. So saying, basically, they who didn't go to Jerusalem were living where they're supposed to live, in the land, in their inheritances, as we saw earlier. They were living in these towns, and even some of the Levites were, uh, uh, some of the visions, Judah belonged uh, belonged to uh, Benjamin. So we got a list of over 3,000 people who came to move to Jerusalem, uh, a city that was not inhabited with few houses, uh, 
and we have different people and skills and talents and abilities and jobs volunteering to be chosen to come to Jerusalem to live there and serve the Lord. And there's a list of them. And God moves people around. He puts them where he wants them to be. I could give you a list of the people who volunteered to serve the Lord in South Carolina. Give you a list of the people who are serving in Vancouver. People who volunteered to move to serve the Lord. And God gives a list here of the people, and that's some applications for us. But the biggest application we're going to see is back in verses 1 and 2. So let's go back and finish our time in verses 1 and 2. Now the leaders, this is the climax of their repentance, by the way. Because in this book, the next thing we're going to see is some genealogies and some stuff that leads up to their celebration concerning the walls and the worship they have. And then we're going to see there's some issues in the future that need to be dealt with. And then that's the end of of Nehemiah. So verse 1, chapter 11. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem. Hey, they they were a good example. But the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine-tenths remained in the other cities. So here we have, as we'll see, people with hearts restored to the Lord. Restored to the Lord. And we'll see in a moment, they voluntarily, as we'll see, offered to be in this lottery to cast lots out of everyone. They, it wasn't, you know, if you, you, know, if you say, um, you know, I got drafted in the army, uh, it, you didn't volunteer. So we got to say, how is this that they volunteered when they cast lots? How does this work together? And it's really important. Look at verse 2. And the people blessed all the men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. Well, wait a second. It said they cast lots for 9 out of 10. You remember back earlier when their hearts were right, they actually cast lots to see who would bring wood to Jerusalem. There's too many people to do it. There's too many people that are willing to do what God wants them to do. And so they cast lots for one out of ten to come. And they bless those who volunteered. Now this term volunteer is an important term. In the Hebrew, it literally means to willingly offer. To willingly offer. They willingly offered themselves to leave where they lived to move somewhere else to serve the Lord. That's really what this is about. That's really what this is about. But they had to have their hearts right first. Jerusalem had been rebuilt. It was spacious. There were no, no houses, very few people. And their hearts weren't right. They needed to get right with the Lord. And now they've repented. They're right with the Lord. And now the time is to come and go to where the Lord wants them to go. So we have a really important principle that only after seeing their sin and understanding clearly the reason why they were in the spot they were in because of their sin, their father's sin, having responded to the word of God, committing to obey it, and then with a willing heart, they're ready to offer themselves to go to live in Jerusalem. Not just to live there, but to serve the Lord there, very specifically. You see, when we come to faith, we're ready to go. We're ready to go, Lord, wherever you want to go, I'm ready to go. But we get ourselves mucked up in this world and the things of this world, and we sometimes are not willing. Now, I'm not saying you've got to run out and go somewhere. Everything we're talking about is the willingness from a right heart to be wherever the Lord wants you to be, the willingness. And you know if you're willing or not. You know that. You know if you are or not. Uh, we see here in Romans chapter 12, 
that uh, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Give yourselves over to God. Lord, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. I've decided to follow Jesus. I want to follow you, Lord God. I'm ready to do it. I'm willing. I'm willing. You see, the reality is, when the Lord calls us, he calls us to follow him. Some people come to Christ and they follow themselves. You ask people, why do they live where they live? And often it's not, I'm serving the Lord here. It's, I like the area, whatever it is. Well, wait a second. We should be living where the Lord wants to be. The Lord drew me here for this job, to serve him in this job. And I am here to serve. This is why, the Lord. This is why I'm here. This is why I'm here. Take a look at, well, I'll, I'll read this for you. Matthew 4:19, And he said to them, this is to the apostles, follow me. Follow me. When you get called to Jesus, you're called to follow Jesus. And guess why we don't follow him? Sin. Sin gets in the way. Sin gets in the way. Uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, concerning Matthew, the, the writer inspired by the Spirit, the tax collector, and Jesus passed on from there, and he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the office, the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. He arose and followed the Lord Jesus. Uh, the reality is that we are to follow the Lord. We are to be willing to live wherever. And this is the application here, by the way, from this. Live wherever he wants us to live. Now you think, oh, Greg, you're just saying that because you want people to come to South Carolina to serve there. Well, certainly I do. But the reality is I want you to be where the Lord wants you to be. And if the Lord is pulling your heart to come minister here in this church, then yes, you better do it. You better get your heart right. But if he has you where you are, then you need to be where you are. But the whole point, you have to have a willing heart, a willing heart. And it just so happens, this is what Nehemiah is about here at this point. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share it. I'm going to share it. He called them unto salvation. He called them to follow him. But sometimes things get in the way, right? Think about the, the offer of salvation, how things got in the way when Jesus asked for people to follow him. Uh, turn to uh, Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. There were often situations where Jesus would say, follow me. But people had all kinds of excuses. I hear this in ministry. I've heard it over the years. Well, why don't you want to do this? Well, I, this, I got this, this, this. Here's a list, a list. There's a million things. A million things. Okay? When your heart's right, those excuses go out the window. I, I'm decided to follow Jesus. Matthew chapter 8, verse 18. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he, he gave orders to depart to the other side. And a certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. <laughs> now think about that. You're a Christian. You may be saying the same thing. I will follow you wherever you go, Lord. Okay, well, let's take a look here. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes. The birds of the air have nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He's saying, okay, you're going to follow me? Well, you're not going to have a place to live. I don't have a place to live. It's kind of the implication, right? And then, notice what he says, And another of the disciples said to him, Lord, permit me first to go bury my father. I got stuff I got to do before I follow you. Okay? It's basically what I got this stuff. I got to get this done. Right? But Jesus said, follow me and allow the dead to bury the dead. Pretty straightforward. We have things that get in the way of following Jesus. I'm not saying we can't enjoy life. We can't enjoy what God has given us. First Timothy 6, he's given us good things to enjoy. But we should have a willing, open heart to follow him wherever he wants us to go. Wherever he wants us to go. 
remember uh, in, in uh, I think it's in uh, uh, Matthew chapter 10. Turn to Matthew chapter 10. If you follow Jesus, it's going to be difficult. It may be kind of kicked back and easy where you are. But if you follow him, there's going to be some trouble. There's going to be some trouble. Uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 32. Everyone, therefore, who shall confess me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever shall deny me before men, I also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against his mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the enemies of his house, members of his household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. I hear people who say, I can't go do this because I need to be by my family. Well, this verse seems to say something different. If the Lord blesses you to be by your family with a willing heart, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. But that should not be the reason why you don't follow Jesus wherever he wants you to go. Wherever he wants you to go. He who has found his life shall lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake shall find it. Shall find it. What about Mark chapter 8? Turn to Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Now, certainly, these are in the initial salvation. You've got to follow, you've got to give up there. You want to follow them, right? But there's principles, as we'll see in a moment, that apply to our sanctification also. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. And he summoned the multitude with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, if you want to follow me, that's what he's saying, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and what? Follow me. This is basic Christianity 101. If you claim to follow Jesus, follow him, right? I'm a follower of Jesus. Are you really? Are you really? Are you really willing from your heart down to the core to do whatever he calls you to do? Now, we don't know what God is calling individuals to do, so don't you make judgments. You follow him. Examine your own hearts. And if you're willing and you know you're willing, then you're good. But what gets in the way is sin. What gets in the way is our wealth and desires. Turn to Mark, or Matthew. Did I read, did I read, did I read Matthew, Mark 8? Not yet, did I? I did, okay, thank you. Um, turn to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. Verse 17. And as he was setting out on a journey, a man went up to him and knelt before him and began asking him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now this is concerning salvation, by the way, the context of salvation. And he says, you, do, you know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not be a fair false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And this is Matthew 10:20. And he said to him, Teacher, I've kept all these things from my youth up. And looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him. Isn't this wonderful? Matthew, Matthew uh, 10, verse 20. And Jesus said to him, Teacher, I've kept these things from my youth. And looking up to him, verse 21, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, One thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. 
and come and follow me. <laughs> Did I read that right? I make a mistake? Right from the wrong passage. Is that, oh, Mark. So you see Mark. No big deal. You know where it is, right? You got it. Figured out. Mark. There you go, Mark. But the point is, you know this story, right, Mark? You know this story. The reality is that there are things that get in the way from following Jesus. And it is the things we treasure. The things we treasure. The things that we treasure above Jesus. Whether it's wealth or family or things. Nothing wrong with family. Nothing wrong with those things. The things we treasure. Things we treasure. Yeah, that was Mark chapter 10. And so, uh, you can read that later too. Mark chapter 10. But uh, look on a little farther in Mark chapter 10. Not Matthew 10, but Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Look at verse 28. Because this is important. Because Peter's going to ask the Lord, this is Mark 10, well, what happens for, to us that gave everything up? We actually gave it all up and followed you. We actually gave up our lives and followed you, Jesus. What's going to happen? Mark 10, 28. Peter began to say to him, Behold, we've left everything and followed you. That's what we're talking about, isn't it? Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he shall receive a hundred times as much now in the present age, houses, brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. You need to have a willing heart to follow Jesus. It could be a symptom you never came to Jesus, but I posit to you that many believers are willing to follow the Lord and then sin gets in the way, just like these Jews. And when they confessed their sin and they got right with the Lord, they had a willingness. There were those who stayed in their houses, but they were willing to go. They were willing to go. They offered themselves voluntarily. Think about what, uh, P- what P- Jesus says to Peter when he restores him on that thir- after he had risen from the dead and they're on that beach and he makes breakfast for Peter. Turn to John chapter 21 because he's going to you know, restore him, but he's also going to put more in there. Sometimes we just think of the restoration as just the do we love you part. There's more than that. There's more than that. Uh, John 21, verse 17. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now he, that's speaking of Jesus, said this signifying what type of death he, that would be Peter, would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, what? Follow me. Peter, feed my sheep. Peter, this is how you're going to die. Peter, follow me. Follow me. And then notice, Peter turning around saw a disciple whom Jesus loved uh, uh, following them the one who had also leaned back on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, uh, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, therefore, seeing him, who, who betrays you, Peter, therefore, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. 
Now, I make this warning. Don't be gauging whether other people are following the Lord or not. You follow the Lord. This is about your heart before the Lord. This is about your heart. It's a way to know that, hey, I've repented. I'm, I've, my heart's right. I, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do, Lord Jesus. I'm willing. Do you know the 144,000 in Revelation, uh, they were characterized by this statement. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. Followers of Jesus, right? And I read this earlier. How about Abraham, our father of faith? What an example of following the Lord, right? By faith, Hebrews 11.8, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder was God. Some of us are a little bit too tied to this world. First uh, Peter 1 speaks about the chosen sojourners, those who reside as aliens. It means residing in a strange place. A strange place. So then, a clear fruit of repentance is a willingness to live wherever the Lord wants you to live and serve him. Not just live there, but to serve him. So I ask, are you willing to let him take you wherever he wants to take you? Are you willing to follow Jesus? Are you willing to follow Jesus? Can you say in your heart of hearts, you willingly offer yourself to the Lord to go wherever he wants you to go? Are you willing to do that? These Jews, that final fruit of repentance was a willingness to serve the Lord voluntarily and the other people. They blessed them. They blessed all who volunteered. There was a speaking well of them. Are you willing to follow Jesus? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this passage. I thank you for the example of these Jews. And Lord, you know our hearts. May we be willing from the heart to serve you wherever you want us to serve you. May we not be holding on to this world, but may we be yielded to you, willingly volunteering in our hearts to you. Lord, we want to follow you wherever you take us. We pray this in Jesus' name.